Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you with us again this week as we continue our journey through the subject of managing for the Master till he comes. We are looking this week at lesson number two, God's covenants with us. We're looking at faith, we're looking at finances, we're looking at stewardship, and we are grateful this week once again to have the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson with us, Ed Reed. He is a licensed attorney and he is an ordained minister and has been involved with stewardship for over 30 years. Before we delve into this week's lesson, let's have prayer. Father, we thank you for guiding us along this journey, helping us to be able to see how our management, our stewardship of the funds that you entrust to us has an incredible impact on not just our lives, but on the work of spreading the gospel around the world. We ask that you'll bless us as we study again this week, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, thanks for joining us again this week. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. As I mentioned a moment ago, we're looking at God's covenants with us, and I want to take a look at the memory text for just a moment. It's Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So this week's study is called God's Covenants with Us. What do you mean by God's covenants with us? Well, it's very interesting because even though God is the creator and the sustainer of the whole universe, everything we know about, he gets real personal with us in making business decisions. The interesting thing to me is that God has made contracts with us. Most of the promises are contracts. Contracts are interesting because our day-to-day life actually handles, deals with contracts all the time. For example, if you want to buy a car, they see alongside the road that's got a for sale sign, you go to the guy and say, well, how much do you want for the car? He'll say, well, I want 5000 Well, I like your car, but I'm only going to give you 4500 If you'll take that, I'll buy it. Well, I can't take that. I'll take forty-seven fifty. So you make a strike a deal. Well, that's a contract. You just decided. Another contract is you want to buy gas for your car, so you pull into a station and it says four dollars a gallon. If you pump the gas, you just signed the contract that you're going to pay for it. So there's contracts all the time in life, but God does that with us individually. And it's interesting that most of the contracts that God makes are bilateral, which means that He has a part to play and we have a part to play as well. Uh, for example, he says, if you do this, I'll do that, or if you do this, I'll do that. The interesting part about it is that there are occasionally unilateral contracts in the Bible. And I'll just share you, a unilateral contract means that only one party makes the difference. So I'll give you an idea. A unilateral contract says, whether you do anything or not, I'm, not, I'm going to do this. For example, he makes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Then the bottom line is, whatever, whatever we do doesn't make any difference. God's still going to send the sunshine and the rain. Another interesting thing is that he promised in Genesis, the 8th chapter, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. The seasons will come and go regardless of what we do. So those are God's promises. It's real interesting that examples of, bi- of God's bilateral contracts are in the, in the Bible. That one, Eric, that you just read in Deuteronomy 28, I, I like this. The way you can see these contracts is, if you do this, then I'll do that. That's what he says. So if you, if you diligently obey, then I'm going to send all these blessings to come upon you. And I, I mentioned earlier, they will overtake you. Wouldn't that be something to have God's blessings overtake you? Then Proverbs, the third chapter, is one of my favorite verses. 
I've told people many times that there's many verses, over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions and our attitude toward them. But the interesting part is that, for me at least, Proverbs the third chapter is probably one of the best. And it says, if you'll honor the Lord with your substance, this is Proverbs 3, verse 9, and with the first fruits of all your increase, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will overburst out with new wine. Now you have to understand from the Bible perspective, God dealt with people who were agrarian people they were farmers, and so most of us don't have barns or presses, but God says, I'll, work, I'll bless the work of your hands. That's what he's talking about here. The covenants are, if you do this, I'll do that. So this is God actually dealing with us on a very practical and simple basis. You know, and speaking of these uh, bilateral contracts, that reminds me of the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. Uh, let me read just a few verses here, uh, starting in verse number 10. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts." There's another, uh, I guess what you consider a bilateral contract there, yes? Yes, and in addition to that, the verse right before it says, if you return to me, then I'll return to you. So there's many bilateral contracts in that one. And finally, God says, uh, if you return your tithes and offerings, that then there'll be provision in my house. And then he, he challenges us to prove him, to see if he won't do this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing, there's not room enough to receive it. I tell people, if you don't have room enough to receive it, what do you have? You have surplus. You have more than you need. So God's giving you a blessing so you can be a blessing to others. We can be answers to people's prayers, and that's a good thing to me. It seems like, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. I love that one. We frequently don't bring in verse 11, but that's part of the God's contract with us. If you'll be faithful, I'll bless you, and I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. So if, you, if you're like me and try to keep your cars a long time, I've got a car that's got almost 300,000 miles on it, still running fine. So God's going to rebuke the devourer. A lot of people trade their cars when they're like 100,000 miles, but this is amazing. God's done something great for me, and I can, t- I can tell that he's done that. So th- this is kind of what we're looking at here. Matthew 6:33 is another interesting one. To me, this is amazing, where it says, God says, I know that you have need for food and clothing and shelter, and, and, but he said, if you'll seek me first, then, I'll, then what will he do? All, all, all these things will be added unto you. So that's a contract there. God says, if you put him first, he'll take care of you. So that's an incredible contract. It's a verse that I think many of us are, are familiar with. We've certainly heard. And putting it in its context where God says, I'll take care of all the needs that you have if you put him first is encouraging. Now, probably one of the most important needs that we have is referenced here on Sunday's lesson, which is the salvation covenant. Uh, what is meant by a salvation covenant or contract, and how does that fit into this picture? Well, this is very interesting because, of course, Jesus died for everybody who's ever lived and ever will live. But not everybody will be saved. In fact, the Bible is very clear in Matthew, the seventh chapter, that the Broadway leads to destruction. Most people go in that way. But the interesting part is, for those who accept, he, he promises to save and to, to uh, bring salvation to them. Now, some people say, well, no matter what people do, God's going to save everybody. That's what we call universalism, and that's certainly not true. The Bible is very clear that Jesus taught that he died for all humanity, and many people travel the wrong way, of course. Paul understood this, that he was, when he was about to be executed, Apostle Paul, real interesting character in my opinion. 
he was all in for God once he was converted. And from then on, he, no, nothing could deter him. He was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was left for dead, uh, put in prison, all kind of things. But he, he, sent, he, he said, I'm pressing on to the mark. I'm, I'm gonna, I've accepted the contract. He fought a good fight and finished the course and so on. So it's very clear that salvation is always available to everybody, but they have to believe and accept it. And we, we know the little book, Steps to Christ, for example, has the confession, repentance, and change of your life, and obedience to God, and so on. It's not complex, but it's pretty simple, but it has to be, both parties have uh, a work to do. So there is choice here. There, there is the opportunity, the necessity, I guess, maybe that's even a, a better word, to make a decision which way we want to go. Do we want to fulfill our end of the contract, or do we want to just uh, abandon that? And if we choose to abandon it, God, uh, God permits us to do that. He's not going to handcuff us to heaven, uh, as it were. But he gives us the opportunity for those who want to be saved to, to make that decision and to be saved, which kind of leads us into Monday's lesson. Monday's lesson is about hearkening diligently. Uh, it's one thing to, to listen, or I guess maybe it's better to say it's one thing to hear, it's another thing to listen, and it's a whole other thing to, to obey. Uh, what's our responsibility in our contracts with God? What does God expect of us for us to uphold our end of these contracts? That's a very interesting question. So I can use it in legal terms that would help you a little bit. If we say we're one of the followers of God, but we don't do the obedience, we have what we call breach the contract. So it doesn't, it doesn't apply to us anymore. You said it, it's our own choice, and of course it is. But the bottom line is, we have the opportunity to, to be faithful or to be disobedient and, and unfaithful and breach the contract. So he's, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the, the commandments are not grievous, of course. It's not difficult. So I think it's important for us to understand clearly that God has made a way of escape, and he's also given us the help, to, to, the power to be victorious in our lives. So if we, if we use our own choice and we choose the wrong way, that's our own fault, really. So are there any examples that you can think of in the Bible uh, that you might mention where people made a decision to either break a contract or to, to keep a contract uh, that we can use as uh, maybe guidance in our own lives? Well, it's kind of interesting that you ask the question because throughout the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel were God's people, and he would always tell them in these verses you just read about being diligent to obey, and he would bless them. In spite of all the blessings, in spite of all the miracles, they were frequently distracted by things around them, the things of the world and so on. So they would breach the contract and he would always come back and forgive them if they were obedient to do it. Frequently, it's amazing to me that in the Bible, when there were wars or conquests, uh, people tried to conquer Israel. One time they were facing a million men, the Bible says, and they prayed and God delivered them from those people. Then in other times, they were not d- delivered because they had been disobedient. So God's protection that he's promised in other verses depended on their faithfulness. So God makes covenants with us. Uh, he desires to make covenants with us, and he hopes and expects that we're going to uphold our ends of the covenants. But as you mentioned, uh, that's up to us. We have to decide whether we want to or not. And sometimes somebody might say, well, it's, you know, the things that God requires of us are, are difficult I suppose that largely depends on what your definition of difficult is. You know, if we're trying to do things on our own power, yeah, that's likely going to be very difficult. But if we instead choose to lean on Christ and allow him to help us keep our end of the uh, of the covenants, it's probably going to go a whole lot better, are we? Any thoughts on that, Ed? 
Yes, it's interesting. You just read something from Malachi, the third chapter, and this to me is an amazing one because you say it's difficult. It's only difficult if you don't trust God. Because if you say God, if you obey God and he, he doesn't, doesn't uh, follow up with his part, that never happens. So you can just say, if there's a breach in the contract, I did it. So you, you understand that next week we're going to talk about the tithing contract, and the bottom line is tithing is not difficult. It's very easy to sit down and write a check, but it's difficult. The difficult part is believing that God will take care of you if you, if you give this money away. And that's fascinating because some people do consider it to be very, very difficult. But like everything else, it's a choice. We're going to come back and continue looking at God's covenants with us. But I want to encourage you, if you want to get more out of this quarter's Sabbath school lesson, make sure that you pick up the companion book for it. Uh, It is authored by Ed Reed, our guest this week and every week here on the Sabbath school program here on It Is Written. The name of the companion book is Managing for the Master. You can find this book at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's at itiswritten.shop. Just look for the book Managing for the Master by Ed Reed, and you will get a lot more out of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. Additional insights, incredible stories, you'll be blessed. We're going to come back in just a moment as we continue our study of God's covenants with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. More and more people are watching It Is Written TV. They're watching their favorite It Is Written programs, listening to inspiring sermon series, and much more. They're watching them here, here, and even here. See for yourself why people are turning to It Is Written TV to watch their favorite Christian programs live and on demand. Watch It Is Written TV for free anytime on Roku, Apple TV, and at itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking this week at lesson number two, God's covenants with us, and let's, uh, let's hone in on Tuesday's lesson here for just a moment. It's called Honor the Lord. I'm going to read to you from Proverbs chapter 3. I'll start in verse number 5. Here it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths." Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. So here again is God's direction to us. He says, fear the Lord, respect the Lord, and and depart from evil. There are some promises here uh, about what God is going to do with with what what we have, what he entrusts us. He talks a little bit about the first fruits. Can you talk a little bit about the first fruits as well? Yes. It's interesting to me that Proverbs talks about several contractual things here. For example, in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and what will he do then? He'll do something. He says, if you do that, he'll direct your paths. A lot of people have come to me in the past and said, Well, we, 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 several options that we, we can need, need to think about here. Which should we do? Well, God's providential leading will open the way if we pray for it and ask for his protection and leading. It's interesting also that we understand that... The, 
the book of Proverbs is not so much about right and wrong as it is wisdom and foolishness. So if you've got smarts, if you're wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge holy is understanding. This is important that we understand this. The Bible is very clear that God's got the answers and we can get them from him if we're willing to listen and talk with him. So God puts us in management of, well, they're really his possessions. Correct. And, and he wants us to manage those. What are some, what is, what's involved in the management of those possessions? Well, we've kind of touched on this in some other t- lessons, but I'll just mention the first thing is to recognize that God's the owner of everything, that it's his stuff we're dealing with. So he's the one that makes the boundaries. I remember going to a meeting one time when there was a person that was talking about stewardship and he had said that he was a tither, he was a 3% tither. And I said, well, I thought to myself, where did they ever get that? Because the, the Bible talks about 10%, which we'll talk about uh, the, when we talk about that next lesson, I believe, coming up. The point that I'm trying to make is you, to be faithful with God, we must accept his terms and his, his part of the bargain. It's kind of like credit card companies. If you get a credit card, they get, you get a letter from them sometimes and they'll say, We've changed the contract terms. Now you're going to get this or this, and we're going to do that, this and this. And you say, well, yeah, well, I thought I had input into it. Well, you do. You can quit the card if you want to, but they're just saying we're going to change the terms. There's a lot of the things that you need to think about when you talk to people about their uh, money management, and especially when we talk about God's contracts with us. We want to be faithful to him, him. The big bottom line, Eric, and we've talked about this already, is that if you trust God and you have a relationship with God, what he says you'll do and you'll be blessed as a result. We just have to take that by faith and, and see. That's one of the reasons why you have old folks like myself that can talk to people. I've trusted God and he's taken care of me and I can recommend it to you. So you've seen it, you've experienced it yourself. God has promised it in his word. Uh, there are a lot of people who, who like the Bible, who appreciate the Bible, who believe at least large chunks of the Bible. But when it gets down to, well, when it gets down to, to finances, sometimes people uh, they're, they're a little more hesitant to believe some of the things that, that God says. He says uh, that our barns will be filled with plenty. He tells us that we're not going to lack. He tells us that he's going to take care of, of all of our needs and maybe even some of our wants. And you mentioned a moment ago about the tithe and, and, and somebody who tithes 3%, which is a bit of a challenge, uh, seeing as how the word tithe doesn't mean three. Um, but Wednesday's lesson actually talks about the tithe contract. What's the significance of that tithe contract? What does, it, what does it entail? What does it look like? And why is it so important in our faith walk with God? Let me just answer one other thing first, Eric, and that is you asked me about the first fruits of, from Proverbs and also put God first in Matthew 6.33. Why does God ask us to put him first? It's not because, in the, we, this is legal terms, not because he's arbitrary and capricious and just saying, because I said so. The reason is, God says, if you put me first, I'll bless the rest. Very few accountants can come up with the fact that God can bless 90% as much as 100%, but we know from experience, those of us who have tithed, that he does that. He blesses it beyond our imaginations, including rebuking the, the devourer and all of those things. So let me tell you about the tithe contract. The average person doesn't recognize this, but the tithe is not a burden, it's a blessing. Think about being in touch in, in, in uh, business arrangement with the Almighty God. To me, this is incredible to, to understand that the creator of the universe is saying to me, if you'll be faithful with me, I'll, I'll take care of you. It's kind of like when Abraham tithed. We'll talk about that in the tithing contract later. But when Abraham tithed, God told him the next day that 
I, I, I provided protection for you and you don't need to worry because I'll be your, your reward and your great guide. That's in Genesis chapter 15, right after rescuing Lot in chapter 14 of Genesis. Let's go back to the tithe contract now just quickly. The, tithe, the tithing legislation actually is given in Leviticus 27, but this is a time when they had these cycles, Eric, as you well know, that there were times in the Bible when they obeyed God and followed Him and they were blessed and very prosperous, and when they disobeyed and worshipped idols, things would happen bad to them. This is one of the times when they were, were disobeying, and God said, return to me. This is the third chapter of Malachi now. Return to me and I'll return to you. So he's saying, you've got to do something if you want me to bless you, and that's return to me. And then they said, well, what do you mean return to you? And he said, but you've been robbing me in tithes and offerings. Now, it's interesting that if you live next door to a Christian person, you wouldn't expect them to break in your house and rob from you. But the bottom line is we're robbing from God if we take his part. This is another thing. He's got all the resources in the world and everything's at his command and all the miracles he's able to do. And we think that it's a big deal that we have to return a tenth of our increase to him. The bottom line is God's told us what to do. And we do it. He blesses us. No question. So if we do what he's asked, he blesses us. And, and if we choose not to, if we're robbing from him, breaking a contract, if you will, then we can expect, expect that we're not going to receive the same blessings that we, that we would have if we had upheld our end of the contract. You know, there, there are many people that we could rob. The, the world is full of people that we could rob, uh, which we shouldn't. But if there's one person, if I can use that word, one person above all that we shouldn't rob... It would be God, right? That's exactly right. And the interesting part about that to me is that what you're saying is the one who's got the resources, the one who's got the ability and the interest in, to bless us is the one that we should be holding up as a favorite, of course. The, the, what I'll just tell you is there's, an, there's another one. You've been cursed with a curse. A lot of people don't realize this, but in Deuteronomy 28 that we've read several times, the first two verses, you know, diligently obey and I'll bless you and the, 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 these blessings will overtake you and so on. Verses 15 to 68, I believe, in that chapter, about 53 verses of curses. Those, you'd never want to encounter any of those. God says, I'm not cursing you, but I'm withholding my blessing. So the devil's cursing you with all these things that come upon you. Your prayers won't be heard. Your wife won't be faithful to you. Your crops will fail. There's all kinds of problems. You'll have to borrow and not lend to people. All these things are the curses of God. So do you want a blessing or a curse? We mentioned earlier some of the reasons that people get involved in debt and uh, we'll be talking about debt in the future as well. The interesting part about that is that God says to us that uh, if, you, if you're faithful, you'll lend to people and you won't have to borrow. And we want to be in that position and not be in bondage to debt, is what I'm wanting to say. Now, talking about tithe here for just a moment, um, I, get, I get a lot of questions about tithe. Tithe, of course, means 10%, returning 10% of, of your, as the Bible says, your increase. The question that I get a lot, and maybe you can shed some, some insight and light on this, people will ask me, should I, should I return a tenth before I pay my other bills or after I pay my other bills? That's the first question. And second question, should I return a tenth from the gross or from the net? What kind of wisdom can you give us on those? When do you pay that tithe with everything, from everything or from what you have left, and gross or net? What do you think? Well, that's a good question. We'll actually discuss that in more detail next week, but what I'll, I'll go give you a short answer now. Uh, many years ago, I was over in Gainesville, Georgia, at the offices of Christian Financial Concepts, where Larry Burkett, the late Larry Burkett, was holding forth. And he was on the air when I went there, and there, a lady had called in and said, should we tithe on the gross or the net? And Larry's answer was, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? 
I think that's a great answer. That's a fantastic answer. And if you want more and deeper insight into that, make sure you're here next week as we delve more deeply into it. Thursday. Thursday's lesson says, Seek ye first. Um, why do we seek God first? What does that have to do with this, uh, with this promise? In Mark 12, verse 37, it was said of Jesus that the common people heard him gladly. Why did they hear him gladly? Why is it important for us to, him, to seek him first? Well, that's a good question. I'll tell you one of the reasons is that if you have $100,000 or $10, which is easier to tithe? It's easier to tithe the, the larger amount because you got a lot left. Well, that, that's the problem, though. You have to give a lot away to keep the left, what's yep. left. Yeah. The common people are, were the ones that heard Jesus. They're the ones that he fed on the, fi- the 5,000 and, and so on. They're the ones that heard the Sermon on the Mount. The other people were busy making money. Like the rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus, he was running, you know. He was really in a hurry. And Jesus, what he told him to do, he left sorrowful because he had great possessions. So he let the things take control of him rather than him being in control himself. So seeking him first is the, the most important thing, and everything else kind of follows in its train. What are, what are some other promises that we can uh, receive if we seek him first? Well, first of all, we, we recognize that we, in life there's always a lot of distractions and a lot of temptations, and sometimes we call them chasing the devil's rabbits, you know, down bunny trails. If we put God first, he will direct our paths. That's one thing we've learned from Proverbs 3. You don't know what way to go, well, seek God's counsel, and then you'll know what way to go. There's an interesting reference to contracts for tithing that's from Councils on Stewardship, page 57. If you could read that one for us, that would be wonderful, I think. Yep, Councils on Stewardship, page number 57. 75, I read that backwards, 75. Councils on Stewardship, page 75. It says, He who gave his only begotten Son to die for you has made a covenant with you. He gives you his blessing, and in return, he requires you to bring him your tithes and offerings. No one will ever dare to say that there was no way in which he could understand in regard to this matter. God's plan regarding tithes and offerings is definitely stated in the third chapter of Malachi. God calls upon his human agents to be true to the contract he has made with them. So here, he, God even calls it a contract. Yes, is that amazing? We can expect to see some blessings from that, yes? Yes, indeed. So this is encouraging. God makes contracts with us. He makes covenants with us. And he does that not for his own benefit, but for our benefit, for the benefit of really, honestly, everyone. He wants us to learn to trust him, actually, Eric. That's the big deal, because he doesn't need the money, does he? He doesn't. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The silver and the gold is his. Uh, He said, "I, I, I I wouldn't tell you if I was poor. I've got everything, right? Uh, he's, he's not in any need, but he blesses us with these things. He entrusts us with these things, and we are, uh, we are the beneficia- beneficiaries of those blessings and those promises and those covenants that he makes. We're going to continue looking at the many blessings that God does indeed give us, or at least offers to us, if we are interested in receiving them, as we continue our study on this subject of stewardship of faith and finances as we are looking at managing for the master till he comes. I wish you God's richest blessings in the week ahead. And when we come back next week, we're going to be looking at lesson number three as we continue on this journey together. God bless you. Until then, we'll see you next time.